podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, I'm back again after my holiday and delighted to be back in the company of your co-host Tom Holmes, who produced a great show in my absence last week. Tom, how are you? Um, yeah, I'm good. Even better for having you back, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's good It's good to be back. Um, joining us today is Dave Comerford. Uh, Dave, how are you? Uh, not bad. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Um, so to kick us off, Dave's written a really good piece on Daniel Sturridge and his revival during pre-season. Um, for anyone who's not really been able to watch the preseason games that closely, Sturridge seems to have picked up this sort of new role um, in that he's coming a bit deeper, collecting the ball, taking a bit more um, of a of a role in terms of the creative aspect as well as as putting the ball in the back of the net, um, which has helped him sort of slide back into Klopp's plans and potentially regain a future at the club. So, in light of that, Dave, do you want to talk us through your article and your thoughts on Daniel Sturridge as a whole? Yeah. So. Basically, I thought it was quite interesting how, uh, at the beginning of the transfer window, storage, it looked like an inevitability, to be honest, that he was going to leave. So, um, I'd read that we'd set, set our asking price at about 15 mil. And, um, it just seemed the question of whether clubs could afford to pay his wages. And that was what was going to decide his future. But what we've seen in pre-season is, I think, what struck me hasn't particularly been the goals that he scored because you know he's capable of that, but he's looked revitalised. And I think the the most important thing is he's proven his versatility. So in his own words, he said he has more strings to his bow now. I think that's really important for Klopp as well because Klopp previously saw him, I think, as just a finisher who probably couldn't fit into his style of play. But I think now he's realised that Sturridge has... Um, more capabilities. And I think as well, you have Origi and Solanke and whilst obviously Solanke's a young player and Origi's had a pretty decent record in the past, I think they're quite one-dimensional as forwards. So if we have Sturridge who's willing to play in a new role, he can be a re- really important option for us. Um, and obviously every time you write about Sturridge, the, the overriding thing is, oh well, this doesn't mean anything because he's going to get injured. And when I was writing the article, I was thinking... There's not really any way to refute that, refute that point. But I sort of came to the conclusion that it might actually matter too much if he does get injured because, you know, it's basically our third choice striker, assuming that Salah would move centrally if Firmino got injured. And if a team were to lose their third choice striker during a season, generally you wouldn't say that would make too much difference. But as a cup striker or as a super sub, let's say, I think he can be someone who can make a really positive impact. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as you said there, he, he's looked fitter, he's looked sharper, brighter, and that bit more confident, which is so crucial for a player like Daniel Sturridge, who's obviously suffered a lot of injuries through the years, and that's been some real, really bad setbacks in terms of club, but also international level, missed out of the World Cup for England this year. So it's good to see him back and, and confident and looking like he's enjoying himself. He's got a bit of banter with the lads. We see him on social media. So it's really good to see. Um, so I guess the, the place to start really is delving into this new role for Daniel Sturridge. It seems to be that slightly deeper attacking midfield position um, in that he, he is playing up front, but he drops back, he picks up the ball, he plays a hand in the build-up. Um, and that's that's good to see. He's shown incisive movement, strong touches, good interplay. Um, so what do you make of Daniel Sturridge in that sort of, I wouldn't call it a number 10 role, but it's not it's not his conventional number 9 role, Dave, is it? No, I think the thing, the thing with Sturridge is there's general agreement that he's lost a yard of pace, um, from when he started with a full career. But if he's dropping deeper, I think if he's not having to run on to pass as much and if he's the one actually putting the passes in behind the defence, then that weakness, um, is less important than it would have been. And I think Sturridge, if he has this new creative capacity, like that is something that Klopp's going to be very, very interested in because he likes, he likes strikers as we see with Firmino who 
is such a unique forward who aren't just who can offer the team a lot of different things. Like for me, you know, a lot of the time he's coming back into central midfield, winning the ball back, or he's moving out to the flanks and letting Salah go through the middle. So I think for Klopp in particular, it won't be the goals that Sturridge just scored, and he scored some really nice goals in pre-season, but it won't be that won't be his focus. It'll be this new dimension to Sturridge's game that he's showing. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think it's it's an interesting point, Tom. What do you make of it? Because as as Dave just said there, what made Sturridge so dangerous in 2013-14, and and in the pre uh, in the seasons after Suarez left, although he was injured, he was still playing a, a crucial role. Was his blistering pace to run in behind that movement um, to really stretch defenses, and injuries have taken that away from him. But he seems now to be moulding his game to fulfil a different role. Dave in the article says it's maybe a more well-rounded role as well. So what do you make of Daniel Sturridge in pre-season so far? We will, of course, come on to the fact it's only pre-season and the, and the negative side of things, but just his his form as a whole in this new position. I think I think Sturridge has had a really good pre-season. I've been really impressed with his performances so far. I think the thing about Daniel Sturridge for me, it's never been about the pace. It, it has been about the movement to a massive extent. But there's something else that I think Sturridge has that I don't think anyone has, which is he's got that ability to put the ball in the back of the net. And I know that seems like a kind of an obvious thing to say, but his clinical finishing and his clinical finishing from distance has always been a really, really important aspect of his game. You've seen games where he he's good at getting himself in positions where he can score, but it's the sort of the snapshots. And this is something that people talk about a lot with Harry Kane. He he knows what goalkeepers don't like, and he shoots in he shoots in moments when goalkeepers aren't necessarily expecting it. And that's one of the things I think Sturridge has got on him really good as well. Every time Sturridge has come back and played consistently well for the club, it's been because he's able to strike the ball so accurately first time. And I think that's something that even if he loses pace, you never really lose. Um, you never really lose that ability to put the ball in the back of the net. And that's something that we've seen from Sturridge over the last few years. Um, he's got that sort of raw ability to find the target. And it's something we've seen across preseason. For me, that's been the sort of the biggest impact he's made in preseason, which is scoring the goals. And we know he's, we know he can do that, but we, we've not seen him do that consistently with as much sort of vigor. I think is maybe the other thing. And for me, that's the most important thing here. I don't actually think it's about Sturridge's positioning. I don't actually think it's about his finishing. I think it's about his attitude. And we've seen in previous seasons where he's come in and he's been very hesitant. He's been very clear that he's not sure what his role is in the side. He doesn't necessarily want to stay. This summer, he's come, he's come at this with an attitude of, you know what? I've sat on the bench at West Brom for six months now. I don't want to do that. I want to be in this team. I want to be contributing however I can to this Liverpool team. And I think that's a really, I, I really like Daniel Sturridge. I've really liked Daniel Sturridge for a long time. Um, in terms of his newer creative role, I'll be honest. I've not seen enough of him in preseason to notice much of a difference, to be blunt. Um, that's not to say there hasn't been one. It's just that from what I've seen in preseason, his best attributes in that preseason have still been, picking the ball up in good areas, his movement's still top-notch, um, and I, that ability to strike a ball. Um, but what I will say is that if he does need to change his game. I mean, as you say, he's lost that yard of pace. That much is obvious. He does need to change his game. And he does need to change his game for a couple of reasons. I think the other reason he needs to change his game, not just because he needs to be a more intelligent player to compensate for that lack of pace, is that the team that he's playing in is a very different one. And at the moment, we've got enough players who can do what Daniel Sturridge used to do, in many respects, we've got that sort of player who can get on the shoulder of the last defender, cause the defender problems, uh, sprint in behind, create space for others. We've, we've got that sort of player who can do that already. We need someone to do what the more the Roberto Firmino role, as has been mentioned, which is to drop a bit deeper, give the defence something different to think about, get the movement in, make the passes. And I think the big question is going to be whether or not he can do the pressing side of the game as well, whether he can do the physical side of the game, because... Klopp's system has always been a very, very physical one. Um, and I think Sturridge needs to offer something a bit different um, to what he's been offering in the last few years if he's to regularly make a run in this side. And that's not to say that he won't be able to do that, but he does need to offer something a bit different to what he has been offering previously. Um, because at the moment, in the last couple of seasons, we haven't looked the same team with him on the pitch. And that is, for me, a bigger concern than his individual form. Yeah, again, uh, good points raised. And we'll come on to the injury issues in, in a minute. And one question I did want to ask, uh, Dave, I'll start with you, is is whether Sturridge in some ways adds to this idea that Klopp's system is now quite flexible heading into the new campaign. Um, in previous podcasts, we've talked about the midfield, the array of options in Naby Keita, Fabinho, 
Henderson, Milner, Wijnaldum. Um, and so that gives Klopp a, a lot of ability to maybe tailor the midfield to certain oppositions. And in some ways, Sturridge's preseason and his comments, uh, which I think you mentioned in the article about just playing wherever um, in order to get game time, maybe that reflects it in a way too, um, because he can play that mid, uh, withdrawn role where he maybe gets involved in the creative aspect. He can play the conventional forward role who just maybe runs in behind. OK, he's lost a yard of pace, but his movement is still there. So with Klopp looking for silverware next season, um, four competitions to compete in, do you think that's a good option for Klopp to have and, and maybe a good headache? I think I think it's a valid point about a more flexible system. We have a very sort of straightforward idea of what Klopp's system is. Like it's heavily or, oriented around pace and pressing and um, like high intensity. But just generally, I think it's important to have players who don't necessarily fit the system. Um, just as an example, obviously he's a totally different player, but like look at Marouane Fellaini at Man United. He's he's on the bench, and towards the end of games, they can just bring him on and they can start playing really direct to him rather than trying to break teams down with passing. And a lot of the time, it's quite effective. We saw something similar with Giroud at Arsenal. So Sturridge isn't necessarily someone. I think Klopp said he's never going to be the marathon man of the team, and we can't dispute that. But he's someone who can offer a different focal point. So maybe. Instead of trying to like almost shoehorn him into this very unique demanding style of football, which he's clearly not the best suited to, the best is to, as you say, adjust the rest of the team when he is playing to uh, play to his strengths. Really, Tom, any response to that? I actually, I don't disagree, but I do think Sturridge has changed his game to fit the system, fit the system more if he can, and I think that's very important. I think it's very clear this summer that Sturridge has shown he is willing to completely remodel his game to offer what Jurgen Klopp needs him to offer, rather than Klopp saying, oh, all right, we'll just throw Sturridge in, because I don't think the system is necessarily more flexible this summer. I don't think it's necessarily the case that Klopp is changing his tactics. I think it's more the case that Klopp has gone out and bought players that maybe fit some of the holes in the system. So in maybe in previous seasons, we've had one or two players playing slightly out of position, or one or two players who are having to do things they might not want to do, which has made this has caused some problems in the system. Whereas I think this summer he's bought a couple of perfect players to anchor his system around. So to that extent, I don't think the system is necessarily more flexible. I think we'll see us playing a very very similar style of play. But we just bought players who fit the system perfectly that are also really good individuals. If that makes sense. So for example, Naby Keita, I think we'll we'll see him fit the system perfectly. But we'll also see that when the system is struggling to implement itself he can just go and do things. And this has been one of the problems Liverpool have had over the, the last few years, is that slowly but surely, we've had to build individual players into this system who can do, who are exceptional outside the system. I thought in 16-17, for example, Lalana, Vinaldum, Firmino, even someone like, well, the only two players we had in 16-17 that were capable of doing something exceptional outside of the system were Coutinho and uh, Coutinho and Mane. Obviously, last season, we brought in Mo Salah, who offers that different element who can do something different and we've seen that quite a few times from him um, and we've started to see Bobby develop into a better player outside of the system anyway uh, that's something I've been critical of Bobby throughout his local career and it's something he has worked on as well so I think it's just a case of Klopp buying players that are both perfect fits for the system and that are good enough that when the system isn't working they can just step up so I think it's more the case that Sturridge is adapting to fit the system rather than Klopp is adapting the system to fit the players. Because in my in my mind, there was no doubt that Klopp did not necessarily want to keep Sturridge in this preseason. It has been Sturridge changing Klopp's mind, not Klopp being willing to adapt. And I mean, to an extent, it goes both ways. Obviously, Klopp sees Sturridge as never going to be the perfect player for a system. But I think from, in Klopp's mind, if Sturridge is willing to do enough to fit the system, then Klopp recognises the attributes that he does have. And if he can combine that with a willingness to and an ability to adapt to the system, then I think Klopp will, will say, you know what, fine, you can stick about then. I've got I've got uses for you. Um, and that's really important because I do think, I don't necessarily, I mean, I, I agree, Sturridge is a sort of player who maybe doesn't archetypally fit the system and who definitely offers something different. Um, he offers something that a lot of our other players don't have. Um, and he's a very, very different type of player. And he's definitely one we should be keeping around. Um, but I also think it's fair to note that Maybe it's not, it's not the case that Klopp has recognised something in Sturridge that wasn't, that he didn't recognise before so much as Sturridge has shown that he's willing to 
work harder to fit what Klopp needs him to be. Yeah, again, I completely agree. And I think the main point there is that Klopp isn't changing the system. I just wanted to clarify that I didn't think he would change the system ahead of the new season. I think the point is, in the midfield options we've discussed um, in, in previous uh, podcasts, he's getting players capable of playing many roles, thereby giving him the option to change the system. And you're completely right in saying Sturridge has worked his way back in. Uh, Klopp didn't seem to want him to stick around, but such is Sturridge's form that actually it's it's made Klopp maybe sit up and take notice. And in key to that has been Origi and uh, Solanke, who haven't really seized their opportunities to impress. Um, I know I wrote an article um, when preseason originally started, and a lot of Liverpool fans were talking about how this was the summer for those two to to really impress, to stake a claim, to be the understudy to Firmino, with Sturridge expected to head out. Um, but neither of them have taken it. Um, and as you've both said, Sturridge is a player who can put the ball in the back of the net. So while those two are struggling, Sturridge is is maybe second or third choice. Um, well, uh, at the moment, I'd say he's second choice to Firmino. Um, and at present, I think everyone would agree he's he's the better option of the three. Um, Dave, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think Origi, it looks as if it's essentially game over for him at this point. I mean, he hasn't featured, I think I'm right in saying, in the last two games, even pre-season matches when loads of changes are getting made. It's quite clear that we've set this 27 million price tag and we know um, there's been a couple of clubs that have approached, approached Liverpool. I think Solanke is a player, obviously you've got to be patient with him because he's still young and he hasn't had that much experience at this level at all. But he's, he showed some promising signs the other night when he was holding the ball up slightly more, but a lot of the time he's really frustrating to watch. And I think... The plan, the plan for Klopp going into the summer was quite ambitious. It was, um, to have Firmino as first choice and then have Brewster and Solanke also there because it didn't look like Origi and Sturridge were part of his plans. But I think it's really important to have from the quality of storage as well because all of a sudden, if Firmino gets injured and you're looking at having Brewster who's hardly had any minutes, if, um, any at all, um, in the first team and Solanke who's only obviously scored once, then is a major drop-off, but Sturridge is sort of bridging the gap between those two levels, so I think even if it does backfire because of injuries, it's a sense, definitely a sensible decision to keep one who we know has that level of quality. Tom? Um, yeah, I mean, for me it's a no-brainer at this stage that you have to make sure you're maximising the potential in your squad. I, I've been really I've not been really disappointed by Origi in pre-season. I, I don't think he's been given a fair cut of the whip, but equally you can't argue that he's been knocking the door on to, to make a claim for the first 11. Ings has not been given a shot, partly because of injuries, partly because it's clear that he's on his way out as well. Um, and that's his choice. And I mean, I respect Danny Ings for that a lot. I think it, the storage situation has kind of been intertwined with the Danny Ings situation because it was very clear that Klopp wanted Danny Ings to stick about for another year. It was very clear that Klopp saw Danny Ings as a player he could use as a backup. So when Ings said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not sticking about, Klopp basically had to make a decision then on which of Origi and Sturridge he was going to keep to play alongside Solanke. And at that stage, and you know, pre-season speaks for itself, it's been, it's been Sturridge all the way. Um, what I would say is that the reason, part of it is the Brewster situation in the sense that it's very clear to me that Klopp is willing to and sees fast-tracking Brewster into the first team sooner rather than later as being the the end game. And I think that, for me, that's why we haven't looked to buy any backup strikers. For me, that's why we haven't looked to go out there and and raid the market for a Firmino-like type. Because for me, Klopp doesn't see the point in buying someone when he sees uh, Brewster being Firmino's backup and presumably long-term replacement in two, three years' time. So, for me then... Keeping Sturridge around makes a lot of sense because you've got a player who, um, as uh, Dave says, is very low risk and who can contribute goals in a way that nobody else in this team as a backup striker really can. So it just really depends on what you're looking at. But I think if you look at the options we've got available, it just makes sense to keep someone around who offers that goal scoring threat when none of the others really do. Um, and as I say, if that means you can just, you know, you, if that means you take the hit on Sturridge for a year and then you know, Brewster in 12 months' time, 18 months' time, ends up being the first choice, that's fine, because by that point, Sturridge will have served his purpose. Um, I think 
as David said, part of the other factor with storage, and this is something I mentioned in my storage article a while ago, is value. And at this stage, you've got to look at how much we're going to get for storage, how easy is it going to be to flog him? Because if they're not going to get that much money for him, it almost makes no sense to to sell him, does it? Because if you're not, you, you know, it's a case of where are we, where are we going to be getting the most out of storage? Is it going to be by flogging him for 10, 15 million? Well, if no one's willing to pay that and his wages, then we're going to have to consider keeping him. Because you look at Origi and you look at Ings, the price is mooted for them. Uh, we're, we're looking to get 20, 25 plus million for Debo Origi, which I think in this market is probably a fair price. And then we're looking to get 20 million for Danny Ings, which again, I think in this market is probably a fair price because they're both young players who've still got a lot of potential and have shown that they're good enough to play at the top level, if not necessarily for a top level club, if that makes sense. So they've both shown that they're good enough to score goals in the Premier League. I mean, both of them have shown that they are good enough to play for a Watford or a West Ham or a West Brom or someone like that. You know, someone of the lower levels of the Premier League, they'll do a job there, whereas Sturridge at the moment is an injury risk, which means that it doesn't matter how good he is, a club can't, if a club can't guarantee that they're going to get minutes out of him, it makes him a liability. Whereas for us, it's very much the case that, well, if we can't, we can't get the money for him, it makes a lot more sense just to keep him around because he has, I think what he can offer is something different. He offers that potential to, even if he doesn't contribute very often, to contribute in big games. He is the sort of player who will step up. We've seen it before, you know, he scored in the, um, in the Europa League final, even though we lost that season. But the point is, Sturridge didn't contribute much in the 15-16 season, but when he did contribute, it was very telling. And that's something that I think Klopp will recognise his ability to do, which is contribute when Liverpool need someone to contribute. OK, so um, moving on to the, I guess, the elephant in the room regarding Sturridge. Um, one of the big issues with Sturridge has always been his injury record and his ability to stay fit and therefore actually provide an option or, um, you know, to the manager, put himself in contention for these games. Um, and so we've spoken about how good his preseason is, but ultimately if, if he gets another long-term injury again, he's not going to be available to therefore play a part in the season. So it all boils down to that injury record again, whether he can maintain his fitness. Um, just for a statistical uh, point of view, he suffered 10 different injuries since 2012-13, according to um, transfer marks, and that spanned 567 days and 99 games. So, as I said, a very, very poor injury record for Sturridge. Um, Dave, in your article, you say it's not a gamble to keep hold of him. And Tom has sort of touched on that and how, from a marketing perspective, selling him wouldn't actually be that great in terms of value for money. So, therefore, why not keep hold of him, especially in terms of, as we've spoken about, a region slanky maybe not offering um, good alternatives from the bench, whereas Sturridge can have that quality to make an impact. Um, but, you know... Isn't that still a, isn't that still a concern, even if he is third choice striker, like you mentioned in the article? Because, as I said before, Liverpool are going to be fighting for silverware. They're going to be fighting on four fronts. And even if you're a third, uh, third choice striker, you're still going to have a lot of games. It is a concern, but I think, as Tom was saying, we asked for 50 million for storage. It looked like clubs weren't going to pay that at a certain point. When you're lowering the price tag to about seven or eight million, you, the club must be thinking, "Hang on, this isn't really, this isn't really right," because we know what storage is capable of. I think it, it's obviously, as you say, the elephant in the room every time there's a, a storage discussion. But as as a third choice striker, um, obviously you have, I think, Firmino ahead of him, and. I said in the article that the arrangement a lot of the time last season was Salah actually playing through the middle, so I don't see any reason why if Amina was injured it wouldn't, we wouldn't switch to a Shakiri Salah Mane front three. I just think it's not keeping storage isn't going to be something that's going to damage our season, but keeping him could be something which benefits it if you know he makes a big impact off the bench or he's like he can stay fit and he can score loads of goals in the cup competitions. It's pretty clear that. I mean, it's been clear from the outset that Liverpool aren't going to buy another striker this summer. So at that stage, I think it's difficult to... I don't really understand why there's so much debate about the decision that the club have made to keep him because it's not like it's storage or a new signing. It's essentially storage or no one because Origi looks like he's leaving. Ings has wanted to leave. So I think, as as has been said, it it's essentially a no-brainer. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's quite a no-brainer, but I do. I, I think you made a really, really good point in the article that how much do the injuries really make a difference if we're talking about a player who we're not relying on? This has been the case in the past for me. We, we the last kind of few seasons, we've maybe looked at Sturridge. There, there have been seasons where we've 15, uh, 14, 15, 15, 16, where we've been relying on Sturridge and he's been injured, and that's been when it's been a blow. It's been when when Sturridge has not been playing. The net result has been that we've had players like Barini or um. Lambert, or for example, um, or even even Origi, like even Origi when he wasn't at his best. You know, we're we're in situations where we don't have enough in that area. Um, whereas I think, as you say, he could easily be third choice striker anyway. If you look at last season, he wasn't he wasn't really in the fold last season anyway. A lot of the time, he just wasn't wasn't selected to start, even when he was given the options. So I think if you say Sturridge is going to be injured. How many games has he missed through injury? Or how many games is he going to be missed by not getting picked anyway? And as long as there's a significant overlay between the amount of games he misses through injury and the games he wouldn't have been picked in anyway, then like you say, it's not, it, it might not make a huge difference because we're not relying on him, if that makes sense. And I think the key point for you is, is what you said. We're not going to buy anyone this summer either way. It's, the squad is not going to be better because Daniel Sturridge is not in it, not in it. If that makes sense, we're not going to be replacing him with someone better. We're not going to be buying anyone. This isn't the case that we're keeping Sturridge in order to avoid buying someone else. We're keeping Sturridge because we think it's the right decision in the here and now. Um, if he doesn't play, it's, it's him or Solanke, really. Um, so as long as, I mean, I, I do think Solanke can offer more to this club going forward in the long term um, than he has done previously and then maybe than Sturridge can in the long run, certainly. But for the next... 12 months, who do I want coming off the bench? Daniel Sturridge, Dominic Solanke, Divock Origi, or Danny Ings. I would rather take Daniel Sturridge and hope that he doesn't get injured. And I think if he does get injured, it happens, and it will be a shame, and it will be frustrating, but I don't think it will break our season. That, for me, is the key point there. And if you say, you know, I think I think you're bang on there. It's not going to make a huge difference to our season either way. We should we should be keeping him and giving him the opportunity. And if he gets if he only gets five starts because of injury and he scores two or three goals, which is very, very plausible based on his previous few years. And that's two or three goals we wouldn't have got if we'd sold him. So. Okay. Um, I, I completely agree with what's been said. Um, of course, it's just when you're discussing uh, Sturridge and his future, you've got to play devil's advocate. People have been asking and will continue to ask about his injury record and whether it's almost a case of deja vu because... This is only pre-season. We're going to touch on that next. Um, but we've also been here before with Sturridge. Um, I put a tweet out a couple of days ago that from a nostalgic point of view, I'm always a person who seems to fall back in love with Sturridge each summer. And a lot of people would probably put themselves in the same bracket. Um, so just before we move on to Ollie's article, uh, Dave, I'll give you the last word on this. Um, is it too early maybe to be getting ahead of ourselves? We've touched on Sturridge and how Liverpool are right to keep him, but uh, of course it's only pre-season. Um, he may be perceived as a valuable option to Klopp, but of course it's not been a real test yet. So maybe is that something to consider? I think I think it is. It is a bit too early, in all honesty. Even though I have obviously talked about what Sturridge can bring to the team, but at the same time, and we've seen this all over Twitter, I fit Sturridge is a player who's worth getting excited about because. Of what he's capable of, and he's he's always someone. It's, I think it's because he's such a likable character as well that there's a lot of like affection towards him in the Liverpool community, and I think that that's why people have allowed themselves to get a bit carried away because of when every time Sturridge hits these good patches, we have memories of 13, 14 when he was incredible, really, alongside Suarez. So, whilst obviously I've, I mentioned in the article that. We have to wait for more representative games where maybe the intensity will be higher than it is in pre-season. I think because of how quick the turnaround's been between Sturridge looking like it was game over and Sturridge looking like he could like resurrect his career, essentially, I can understand why a lot of people, myself included, are getting quite excited about what he can offer. OK, so we'll move on now. Um, to Ollie's article, which looks at the club and what we need to do to win the league this season. Um, not from a transfer point of view and a, an idea of who Liverpool need to sign before the window shuts, but actually looking at previous winners, what they've done to lift the trophy and, and the key aspects of lifting that Premier League. 
um, title. So as we all know, the two main elements to success uh, in the Premier League and in any league is scoring lots of goals, keeping tight at the back and, and really keeping your composure, grinding out results. Um, so we'll quickly touch on the first of those, the, the goals. Um, as Oli points out, uh, Liverpool have scored more goals last season than the title winning Man U, Leicester and Chelsea teams of 2010-11. Uh, 2014-15 and 2015-16. And of course, we saw last season just how good Liverpool's front three were in terms of goal scoring. Um, Add to that Shaqiri and Cater's creativity and goals that we saw in the Bundesliga. Dave, surely goal scoring is not going to be a problem next season. No, I I don't think there's any question that we have the firepower that we need to, to win the league. The only thing I would say is that a lot of the time, our numbers are so high in terms of goal scoring because we have certain games where we utterly thrash teams like last season. 14 of our goals came from our games against Maribor and Spartak Moscow. Um, and it wouldn't necessarily be too bad a thing if, obviously, this isn't something we control that much, but just generally, if we were able to, like, grind out results in other games, because a lot of the time we get such Good goal scoring numbers because we, um, we can destroy certain teams. Like there's countless examples over the last couple of seasons, but we also need to be able to win games another way where we're not able to like totally destroy a team. We have to like be a bit more tactical about it and a bit more nuanced. So I think in terms of like raw firepower, as I said, there isn't really a concern there, but you have to be able to win games in, in different ways as well. Tom, quick point from you on the attacking perspective. Um, as we've said, it, it shouldn't be a problem for Liverpool. Hopefully, I've not not jinxed us there. Um, sorry if I have, Klopp, but please don't blame me if it all goes tits up now. Um, but yeah, from an attacking perspective, lots to be positive about. We've seen, of course, it's only pre-season, but we've seen that fluidity going forward and, and there's plenty to be positive about in terms of Liverpool continuing where they left off last season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, goal scoring has has not been our issue for the last season season or two now. Um, eighty four goals is good enough to win the league in certain years. Um, what I would say is that you have to contextualise goal scoring against the other teams around you, not necessarily other historic teams. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a really good point, Ollie's. Uh, it's a really good article that Ollie's written, and I enjoy all the points in it. And he obviously contextualises. You know, we're up against Man City. We scored eighty four goals last season, which was excellent, but it was still twenty two less than City. So I think there is scope for our goal scoring to improve as well, because I think the bottom line is, for me, you look at our creativity and you look at where we're at, and we are good enough to be one of the top 10 teams in Europe in terms of goal scoring, but we're not for some reason, which is slightly strange. So I feel as though there is scope for us to score more. I definitely feel there's scope for us to score more goals. And I think if we want to be saying we want to be winning the title, we don't just want to be scoring enough goals to win the title. We want to be scoring extra goals we want to be having goals left over and that's why I think we need to be scoring more next season if we want to take a title challenge seriously and I think we've got us I think we've got the tools to do it Shakiri can add a few goals uh Keita should be able to add a few goals um but the issue is you've not just got to deal with adding goals you've got to deal with sustaining goals are we going to go out and suggest that Mo Salah is going to have another Premier League record-breaking season probably not um that's not to say he won't score loads of goals but we need to find it's unlikely that Mo's going to score quite as many this season, in which case you've got to find someone to pick up that slack. Um, so in many respects, we do need to find more ways to score goals, I think, to win the league, because 84 is potentially a title-winning number, but I don't think it's quite enough, if I'm being honest. I think we need to score more, but I think that we've already got the tools in place to score more. OK, um, the defensive side of things is where it gets a bit more interesting. Um, Liverpool have often been ridiculed for leaking goals at the back and lacking the foundations to actually mount a serious t- title challenge. I myself have uh, mentioned in previous articles that, you know, defensive errors, individual errors are costing Liverpool dearly and, and preventing us from really challenging at the very top. Uh, Liverpool conceded 38 goals last season, as everyone knows. There were very poor performances, such as Lovren's performance um, against Tottenham. Um, alongside many others. But Oli offers some really brilliant comparison. Um, as Tom mentioned there, it's a very good article. Check it out if you haven't. And, and he does really um, compare it to different teams and different title-winning teams. Um, so the tally of 38 is actually less than Manu shipped in 2011 and only one more than Man City did in 2013-14. So 
while a lot of people are saying Liverpool do have work to do from the defensive point of view, and don't get me wrong, they do, maybe that gap isn't as big as people perceive it to be. Um, Dave, what do you make of that? And, and what do you think Liverpool need to do in order to concede less? Because, you know, it, it doesn't take a, um, a brainiac to figure out that Liverpool do need to stop shipping goals, especially from individual errors. I think we're pretty close to having the defensive base that we need to win the league. Um, I think that a lot of that has come from transfers. Van Dijk, um, obviously came in in January. We had to pay a lot of money for him, but it looks so far that it was a good investment because I think the main thing for him isn't necessarily, you know, the attributes he, he has. It's like the calming effect he has on the rest of the defense because a lot of the time that sense of anxiety and always if there was a mistake on the horizon. And then obviously that sense of confidence is going to be boosted further by having Allison behind them. Um, and over the, over the years, we've seen a lot of stats, um, on social media about how many times goalkeepers have fumbled and that's cost us goals in important situations. But, um, looking at our back four, Trent and Robertson, I think obviously they were both excellent last season, but they are both still, they've only had one season at that top level. So if there is a question mark, um, assuming the Van Dyke Lovren partnership is as solid as it was last season. Um, if there is a question mark, it could be those two, especially if they're bombing forward. And I think that's why Fabinho's also such an important addition because he's, he can, he's going to be someone who will presumably slot into a back three if those two are having to push up the pitch. So I think a lot of it has come from Liverpool doing sensible business. Um, Klopp hasn't really tried to solve it in house. He's, Kind of uncharacteristically for him, he's gone out and bought a lot of solutions to it. But I think because he's been willing to spend big, we now, as I say, we have the tools to finally put together a solid defensive season. I'm feeling quite confident about that. Um, two great points there that you've mentioned. Um, of course, this will be Van Dyke's first full season at Liverpool. We saw the impact he had last season um, at the heart of the defence alongside Dejan Lovren, who actually looked... Uh, far more assured alongside him. A lot of people have been pointing to the fact that Liverpool don't seem to be um, recruiting anyone to make a step up from Dejan Lovren, but he did have a well, a good World Cup. He did have a decent season for Liverpool. Uh, we won't get into Dejan Lovren, of course, because that's a, a hot topic and we could talk for hours about it. Um, but Tom, again, recruiting Alisson, top draw goalkeeper, that's going to help Liverpool massively in order to, to reduce the goals they're conceding. I know you spoke about this last week with Hamza from a statistical point of view, but just how important are those two signings um, for Liverpool to make this step up to challenging for the title? I think Alisson is an absolutely huge step in terms of winning the title. Um, because the bottom line is you can challenge you can challenge for the title with a mediocre defence if you've got a goalkeeper who doesn't who means that you're not punished by that. We've seen Man United have been blagging their way through finishing in the top four for years by they're having a great goalkeeper. You look at Man United's defensive record over the last five years, it's abysmal, but they've got a world-class goalkeeper. Um, the different, one of the main, di- well, one of the differences between City this season, the title-winning season, season four, goalkeeper, because it just instills confidence in your defence as well. Um, I absolutely think we have the tools to combine scoring enough goals and, con- and not conceding and, and conceding few enough goals. Um, absolutely think we've got the squad to do both of those things. Um, but I mean, we'll come on to more of it. But the answer is yes, in truth. I, we've got a goalkeeper who is going to be stopping goals from being conceded rather than actively contributing to how many goals we concede for the first time in nearly a decade. And that's an absolutely colossal thing to have in the team because we've been let down consistently over the last seven or eight years by bad goalkeepers. And Karius was, uh, a me- Karius was a fine keeper. He was a good keeper, but he wasn't saving us goals. He was keeping the goals neutral, which is fine. But at the moment, our defence isn't quite good enough to win the league. So having a goalkeeper behind them who can mop up some of that means that I think between our between our midfield, our defence and our goalkeeper, yeah, we've got a team that can concede less than 35 goals, which is ideally where we need to be if we're going to win the league. Um, maybe an obvious point to make, just moving on to, to the next aspect of Ollie's article. Um, it kind of puts the two points together we've talked about how Liverpool are very very good at scoring goals and how they'll probably continue from where they left off last season 
And then we've spoken about the defensive aspect and needing to improve slightly there, but how the two signings will help with that. Um, so the points tally is naturally needing to be higher for Liverpool um, in order for them to, to seal that title. And Ollie states that the average points total is actually 88.13. Um, and as he said in his own words, it's, it's very scary looking. Um, but actually, very, very valid point he makes is how it's very dependent on how good second place is. Um, we spoke about Man City and how good their season was last year. That's been spoken about a lot in terms of achieving a, a record 100 points. Um, and key to Liverpool's success next season will be Man City not being able to replicate that. Um, but again, just linking everything together, Dave, do you think that's a step up Liverpool can make? We got 75 points last season. Obviously, the Champions League final took some focus away from the league, and we'll come on to that in a little bit. But it is a step up that that needs to be done. Um, but as Oli said, it's, it's heavily dependent on the other teams in the Premier League, their transfer business and their ability to to really come flying out the blocks. Yeah, it, I mean, it does look quite daunting to have to gain that many points. But at the same time, we also have to be reliant on, on Man City to drop somewhere between 10 and 15 points themselves from last season. Um, there's no guarantee that will happen, but it's unlikely that a team will be able to get to three, a three-figure points tally for two seasons in a row. I think if we're going to get that amount of points, there's a couple of weaknesses from last season that we have to identify. I think the one a lot of people talk about is Liverpool struggling sometimes to break down deep-line defences. And I think we did improve a lot in that respect last season, but towards the end, I'm just thinking of those games against um, Stoke and uh, West Brom maybe in the in the league as well. Like we did, we did really struggle and it was sort of a suggestion that the problem hasn't gone away. But also, one of the strengths associated with Co-op's Liverpool is their ability to hoover up the points against the big six. But I think I'm right in saying last season we only won twice against them. So it's it's sort of a general improvement that's needed. And that might sound quite obvious, but we have to rediscover our, our strength against the, the big six teams because obviously those points are the most crucial of all. But also... You have to be, you can't really let up when you're playing the teams lower down the league as well. You can't slip up because those are the fixtures that if you couldn't consistently be picking up three points in those and not having any silly draws, and we've had a lot of them over the last few years, then I think we probably can't get up to that tally. But as I say, we're also probably 50% reliant on Man City being a level below what they were last season as well. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I think it also depends heavily on um, clamping down on the individual errors. As you pointed to, there were a lot of weaknesses highlighted from last season in terms of um, individual errors. But as we pointed before, we've now identified those weaknesses. Klopp has come in in the transfer market both this summer and in January and identified those weaknesses. So Liverpool should be able to achieve a higher points tally as is. Um, again, as you said, Man City, it's very dependent on them. Because if they perform even maybe not as good as last season, but still to a very high level, Liverpool might have to even beat that average points total, maybe get 90, 95 points. So again, that's a bigger ask. That's maybe 20 points more than they got last season. But if Liverpool are clamping down defensively, if we are able to grind out results, which I think Alisson and Van Dijk will play a huge part in, uh, Fabinho as well then there's no reason as to why Liverpool can't do that. And I think we're in a very, very good position in terms of the squad to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to get 100 points, are we? Let's be fair. Um, no, we, probably, yeah. we probably won't need 100 points to win the league next season. It just depends. I think one big thing that is going to come into play, which Ollie mentions in his article, is the Champions League. Um, we might have to, well, maybe not have to, but it might be the case that going out in the last 16 stage might end up being a blessing in disguise if it means we we can build a sustained league challenge while someone like Man City, for example, who, look, it, it's very well documented that Man City are expected to be that sort of club that are seen to win the Champions League. That bottom line is what they want to do. I think for them, it almost matters more to win the Champions League than the league this season. So I could definitely see a situation developing where City make that deep Champions League run. They get to the semi-finals maybe even the final, and that could open the door for us a bit towards the back end of the season if we 
if we're able to build a sustained run in the league. Um, because that's been the case. That was the case in 08-09. We ended up going up Champions League relatively early that season. Um, and then, of course, in 13-14, we didn't have any Champions League at all. So it, it very much could be the case that the Champions League ends up being the deciding factor. And I mean, the other thing is, right now, this team, I mean, this is just plain common sense. This team isn't good enough to compete across both the league and the Champions League to win both. I don't think we're quite there yet. I just don't think we have the sustained depth. I don't think we've got the players who can do that many minutes without running into a brick wall. And we saw that in the back end of the league this season. If we'd not made a sustained Champions League run this season, we probably would have hit 80 points. So I don't think the gap is necessarily as big as it could be. Um, I think if you're looking at year-on-year improvement, a Champions League last 16 or even last eight finish certainly could gain us potentially 10 points down the run in anyway. That, for me, is one of the big factors. Um, so that that's going to be what's interesting to see. Personally, I almost I almost don't know, because you always want to do well in the Champions League. You don't want to be saying, we should go out of the Champions League last 16 stage. Of course, you don't want to be thinking that. It's a negative way of looking at it. But sometimes you have to be... I mean, this is why this is why people say, we need to win a League Cup, we need to win an FA Cup. No, we don't. Sack them off. They they If they if they impede our chances of winning the Premier League by 5-10%, they're not worth it. Look how well Man United and Arsenal have done over the last few years just by winning those. They don't give you anything. You need to be focusing on winning the two two main things. It's League or Champions League. And I think Liverpool are at a stage where they almost have to say, we're, we're not going to win both. And that's fine. And, we, we, you know, I don't, as I say, we're not expected to win both. We want to be competing for both. But there may come a point where we have to start prioritising one rather than the other. And I think that will be interesting to see. Because this season it was easy for us to prioritise the Champions League. This season it was very, very easy for us to go, well, we've pretty much nailed down top four. We're not going to win the league. Focus on the Champions League. Next season, if we are, if we're on, if we're on for an 85, 90 point season, if we're, you know, two points behind Man City and we've got a Champions League last 16 game coming up, how does Klopp balance the squad? That for me is going to be the key, key question. Um, and that will, for me will decide whether or not we are able to get over the line and win the league, really. Okay. Um, you pointed to one of the crucial factors that Ollie mentions. Just another one, um, is this need for a strong start to the season. Um, again, some more statistics which are brilliantly used by Ollie. These are all collated by Ollie, not by myself or Tom. Um, from title winning teams since 2010-11, the average points tally from the first 10 games has been 23.25, uh, with City and Leicester being the lowest with 19. So just, just looking at that and um, looking at the fixture list ahead of the, the new season, um, Liverpool's opening 10 games then. We've got West Ham. Uh, Palace, Brighton and Leicester are the first four, all of which are very winnable games. Um, and then you've got Spurs, Southampton, Chelsea and City, which is a difficult period for the club. Um, I think that will maybe, you know, well, I mean, I'm not saying Liverpool won't come through with all, even a good majority of the points, but I think that's, that's a period in time where you look at the first 10 games and, and that's a crucial, crucial part of it. Um, but then to, to off, you've got Huddersfield, uh, two teams you expect. So, in terms of the fixture list, do you, do you think Liverpool maybe have that ability to get off to a fast start, Dave? Do you think the fixture list has actually been relatively kind to Liverpool? Um, this isn't to say that, oh, if Liverpool do really well in the first 10 games, we're obviously going to walk the league. That's not always how it works. Um, but again, it's a good start, does instill confidence in the team, does give new signings time to, to get their confidence up, adapt to their new surroundings. Um, and as I've said, for the opening um, four games you really expect Liverpool to be winning Yeah I think obviously as you've touched on it's important to stress that teams can struggle a bit at the start and still go on to win the league I remember Chelsea and Conte's first season I think they started so poorly that there was even talk that Conte might be under a bit of pressure and then they ended up winning the league quite comfortably but it's obviously all about building momentum I think the key the key point here is Liverpool are going to be able to get off to a a better start than their rivals because if you look at it, Man United's preseason looks like it's a bit of a mess. Man City, um, their squad looking quite depleted, and I don't think they have had they've got many games scheduled at all before the season starts, so their fitness levels might be a bit too low. Spurs as well um, have had been like pretty badly impacted by the the World Cup, so I think if Liverpool because by the looks of it, aside from Lovren and Henderson, we might have all 
all of our players available to play against West Ham from from the start. I think Liverpool can steal a march on their main title rivals early on, and then you know soon enough you'll start to think we'll go pushing into the season. Now we've still got this advantage, and then you can start to start dreaming at that point. Obviously. Tom, from your perspective, how important is a is a fast start? Again, as um, Dave mentioned, there it's not always the case that a fast start means you win the win the title, but it would be good to see Liverpool do well in those opening ten games, of course. Uh, I think we have a slight advantage on last season in that we don't have to qualify for the Champions League anymore, in the sense that we don't have to do those fourth place qualifiers. Um, I think this season in particular, we need to be looking at making a fast start because Man City in particular, but also as we talk about Man United. Chelsea, they're missing players from the World Cup. And yes, we are too, but nowhere near to the same extent. We've got a nice run in. We've got a lot of players who it's going to take a month for certain teams to come back to full strength. And that means that there is scope for those teams to really lose some points in the early stages of the season. We need to be looking at from the first six games, we need to be looking at 15, 16 points. That's it. If we draw with Spurs, fine. Although to be blunt, we should be beating Spurs because depending on how good their squad's going to be, Basically, their entire starting eleven is not going to be fit to start the season. If their entire starting eleven is is you know ready for us to by the time we play them, then fair enough. But bottom line, we need to be winning our first, winning five of our first six games. Um, we need to be laying down a marker. We need to be in a situation where we're putting pressure on the other boys early because we don't want to be in a situation where we're having to play catch up. Um, and that's fine. And I mean, I mean, I think we're capable of doing it. We've got a good run in early on. We've got to take advantage of those first five, first uh, five or six games where we've got potentially a good opening run in to make some, to lay some groundwork early. Because, well, for a multitude of reasons, but bottom line is the more points you get on the board early, the more, the more, the less you're going to need later on in the season. You want to be winning as many of the games against the lesser opposition as you can anyway. So you've got to combine all those factors to make a fast start. Um, the other thing is, if we come into something like game week eight and we play Man City and we get and we're off to a strong start, that game can put pressure, a lot of pressure on City. You don't want to be in a situation where 15 games in, you're playing a team and they've got a five point lead. But if you play City eight games in and you've got off to a strong start, you've won, uh, you know, you've won five of your first seven games, you're on 17 points, that sort of thing. You can then go and beat City and that lays down a marker. You don't want to be in a situation where you're playing catch up that early, but equally you want to be in a situation where you've got a bit of leeway. So yes, I mean, well, the bottom line is it's a 30 game season and the more points you win in the first 10, the less you need to win in the back, in the, in the back stretch. But I think making a fast start is very important, but I, I do agree with Dave in that ultimately it, it can, it can make a big difference, but it's not going to, it's not going to define your season in many respects. It's it's where you are after 19, 20 games. It's where you are after 30 games. It's where you are after 38. You, can, you can't win the title in the first 10 games, but you can definitely lose it. You can end up in a situation where after 10 games, the title's out of your reach. But you can't, after 10 games, be in a situation where the title's won. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point, actually. Um, so we all want Liverpool to get off to a fast start. As I said before, the, the fixture list is relatively kind to Liverpool apart from you know, three or four games. Um, but there is scope there for Liverpool to pick up some, some major points, get into a good run and establish some confidence. Um, so just to run off then on the last few points of the article, Tom touched on it previously, um, but if Liverpool are really to challenge for the title, do the domestic cup competitions have to be shafted? Dave, because... Um, just to say my personal perspective, I do completely understand that stance. I do think, um, you know, people will say, well, if we really want the Premier League title, we need to just go all guns blazing for it. Um, the FA Cup would be nice, but it's nothing compared to that league title. Uh, but I also think Liverpool have recruited some players this summer, um, done good business. We've got lots of midfield options, decent depth at centre-back. Shakiri's obviously come in. Um, and we talked about Sturridge, who could maybe play... Um, as second fiddle to Firmino or third choice striker. So is there not enough depth to compete on multiple fronts? At the end of the day, Klopp will want to, well, hopefully uh, bag some silverware this season. It's not all about um, that silverware this season, like Mourinho keeps on saying. Um, But, you know, is there not a case to be made that Liverpool can actually compete on multiple fronts? They don't need to shaft all the domestic cup competitions in order to get that title. 
I think you're right. I don't think it's going to be a case of sacrificing the cup competition. That means we want to do better in the Premier League. I think if you thought about it, if you put together a totally second string Liverpool side where you made 11 changes to it, let's say, you could still come up, especially with Shaqiri having arrived and Sturridge back in form by the looks of it. You could certainly come up with a pretty good side. And I think Klopp isn't necessarily going to risk his, his best players in the cup compositions because I think, although obviously everybody's talking about it at the moment, he won't feel the need to just win a cup. He, he won't feel like he's under pressure to do that. I don't think so. I think Liverpool can sort of come to a compromise with the cup compositions where they've got a side good enough to get to let's say the last four of the competition when they're obviously going to use a first choice side without necessarily that damaging their chances in, in Europe or in the Premier League. Tom, I'll let you quickly respond to that one. Um, I think you mentioned before that actually you think the League Cup and the Domestic Cup competitions should be shafted maybe. Um, maybe I understood that wrong. So what's your take? I think I don't I don't think they should necessarily be shafted, but I think we have to prioritise, and I think we have to prioritise doing well in the Premier League. That's my take on it. If I mean, if some if if there are people out there who think we've got a deep enough squad to win multiple trophies this season, then that's great. I want to win multiple trophies this season. I think we've got a good squad. I just don't think our squad is quite deep enough to be going deep into two competitions, unless players like Sturridge, like uh, the likes of Vinaldum to an extent, but even the likes of Gomez, the likes of Matip, the likes of Moreno, the likes of Carrius, they're going to have to step up and they're going to have to show more than they've shown in recent years. And I, I think they're capable of it. I think we've got enough players that in that squad that are capable, but we didn't take the we didn't take the League Cup seriously last year to the extent that we sent out a second string and they were awful. We didn't take we took the FA Cup seriously and then we somehow got knocked out anyway because we played mini lane goal, which was a big mistake. Um, Look, there is no, there's, the bottom line is there's no surefire way of winning the FA Cup or the League Cup, is there? You can send out kids and batter teams, or you can send out your first 11 and fall apart. The, my take on it is just that we should be looking to create a fitness regime where we're looking at which games do we need to prioritise resting players in. And the FA Cup and the League Cup are games where we should be looking at and going, we need to be rotating the squad, we need to be resting players, we need to be getting our main players in a situation where they can play as many of the important games as possible. And if that means that they don't play in any FA Cup or League Cup games, that's fine. If, if because of the way the schedule or the rotor drops, that we end up able being being able to play Salah Romani or that it's beneficial to play Salah Romani in those sorts of games, great, you do that as well. But for me, when it comes to the crunch on the on the, uh, the, the run-in, if we're in the FA Cup semi-final, the Champions League semi-final, and we're in a league title run, something is going to give there. And... If you ask me which one I'd like to see us continue to rest players in, that would be the FA Cup semi-final. That would be my answer to that. As I say, there's no there's no surefire sort of there's no surefire sort of way of saying we're going to go out to lose the FA Cup. That's not what anyone thinks. No no one wants us to lose the FA Cup. But ultimately, we have to prioritise. And I think when if and I think we don't have a squad that is deep enough to win the FA Cup while still competing on the Premier League. And that's you know if someone disagrees with me. And they want to argue that we do, that's fine. But most Liverpool fans that I'm speaking to are more pessimistic than me and don't even think we have a score deep enough to win the league, let alone win something else as well. So, No, I, I take your point. Um, just one final um, aspect then before we go to plugs. Um, of course, every title challenging team needs that element of luck. Um, as Ollie mentions, an injury free season for Liverpool would go a long way in helping them try and mount a challenge. Last season, we actually got pretty lucky with injuries, as it was. Uh, Firmino didn't sustain a long-term injury. Salah was available uh, for the majority of the time, and, and Mane too. Um, so, of course, we want to see that continue uh, heading into the new campaign. Naby Keita, I think, will be an important player as well. Um, and crucially, refereeing decisions. Um, Paul Tompkins has been brilliant in terms of researching Liverpool's penalty decisions, given at Anfield referees. Um, indecisions in giving penalties um, and maybe that lack of luck Liverpool have uh, in the league but also in other competitions so how crucial is it maybe that Liverpool do get that element of luck next season Dave? I think it is really important obviously we had it last season with injuries as you said 
and that makes you worry that sort of this season it's inevitable that one of the front three will be out for a prolonged spell at some point. But yeah, the key thing is the decisions really because Liverpool got a criminally low amount of penalties last season. I mean, it, some of them were like scarily obvious penalties that weren't given and you always need that rub of the green with decisions even if it means at times that you know a player's going down softly and you still get a penalty when VAR um, isn't a factor and obviously it's not introduced in the Premier League yet you are reliant on luck because it's going to be based on the referee's perception so I don't think it's going to change much to be honest because referees seem to have this idea that when they're at big, big home grounds like that, them given a penalty is almost a sign of weakness. But I'm just hopeful that some sort of logic prevails and Liverpool, because in some games it is going to be the difference between three points and a point. Um, so I just really hope that the referees are, well, essentially they do their jobs properly um, at times this season. We're going to get shafted. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, I mean, historically speaking, that's generally what happens. We're going to get shafted, and that's fine. We'll just have to deal with that. But we do need the luck. We do need something to shift, because I think if, if you know, we could com- we could comfortably have lost 10 points to referees last season. That's not an exaggeration. If you, if you crunch the numbers, and as I say, as you said, Tompkins has done it, and he's a smarter man than me. But if you crunch the numbers, we could definitely have lost 10 points to refs last season. And if we end up losing the title by two points, and we could have ended up being 10 points better off because of refereeing decisions, then yeah, we're gonna, we could easily get shafted. And the bottom line, and I think, if you look at it, referees have been historically not kind to us, and I wouldn't, I would be surprised if that changed. If, if I'm being completely honest, I don't think we will be able to win the title until VAR comes into play. Because I think without VAR, I just think we've got too much of a gap to make up in terms of refereeing decisions. That's my take on it anyway, but I'm hopeful that the referees will be better next season to the extent that we won't have to think about it too much or we won't have to worry about it too much because it gets frustrating it gets frustrating to come out of a get come out of a game and feel like you've been shafted and i hate that feeling because there's a lot of games where a lot of things didn't go our way and i think as much of that is about luck as anything else i mean i look you i look, I, I looked at the numbers last season and my take on it is it's consistency and consistency luck plays a part in consistency as well because of the games where we didn't score enough goals to win the games and when we drop points, we, we we could very well have ended up scoring two or three on most occasions. It's just the way it works. Some games will score five, some games will score one, but we'll have played better in the game where we scored one. And that's just how it worked. What we need to do is we need to find a way to get over ourselves. And as a team, not even fans, uh, as a team, we need to find a way to sort of get over that hump and find a way to consistently win games when things are going against us. Because I think we've got better at it. That is something that I've seen under Klopp Little by little, we're getting better at winning games that we're not doing well in. But we need to get completely over that hump. We need to start finding a way. If the referee doesn't give us a penalty, if this doesn't happen, if that doesn't happen, fine, just score again. Just deal with it. And I think that is something where... And I think the fans do play a part in that to the extent that the atmosphere around Anfield, and this is something Klopp consistently brings up, can be a bit toxic if things start to go against us. And I think that needs to change. Um But that's something that is out of our hands. So yeah, to an extent, I think luck is maybe the key factor, but I think consistency for me is the big thing that Liverpool need to do. Because the bottom line is, last season, we scored enough goals to win the league. We conceded enough goals to win to win the league. But we didn't do it in the right places. We didn't do it at the right times. Um, we didn't put together a consistent season. And it's not just about scoring goals and conceding goals, which this team is very good at doing. Well, not doing in the case of conceding goals, but it's about doing it at the right times in the right moments and making sure that you can consistently get the results. Because it, we, you can win the league with 70 goals. You can win the league with 38 goals in theory. You can concede 38 goals and win the league. You can concede 50 goals and win the league. It's not about the numbers. It's about translating that into performances on the pitch. And I think what we need to bear in mind is that this isn't going to be a season where we can do it where you, a Leicester-like performance is going to be enough. No disrespect to Leicester, because their season was phenomenal. But you're not going to win the title with 80 points this year. And if City dropped 20 points on last season, then bugger me. But we're going to need a 
significant points total to win the league this season, which means we are going to need a lot of luck. That's just how these things work, unfortunately. OK, um, we'll round off there then. Dave, I'll go to you first for plugs. Um, is there anything you want to plug that's either out on the site now or something you're working on? Um, I don't think I've got any articles on the immediate horizon, but I'll just take the opportunity to plug the Twitter, which um, is Dave underscore Comerford. So obviously, if you uh, follow me on there, I'm happy to have any discussions about the uh, relevant Liverpool Liverpool debates. I'm always uh, up for that. So if uh, if you can, please give me a follow on there. And Tom, how about you? You always seem to be busy writing or podding or doing something. <laughs> I am a busy, busy bee. Um, I've got an article. I've got an. I've got an article out on the site at the moment on whether or not we need to win the league to justify the amount of money we've spent this summer. And my answer to that is just no. That's a stupid argument. It's a stupid viewpoint. I'm sorry, you're stupid if you think that. And I, 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 I honestly don't care how much hate I get for that article or for my response to it. But I genuinely think it's a stupid argument. Um, and if you want more information on that one, just read the Topkins Times because he puts it so much more eloquently than I do. And he does all the numbers. He crunches all the numbers. The bottom line, I'm not going to get into it. The bottom line is we're not spending close to as much money as Man City or Man United. So it's stupid to expect us to have, to win the league. Um, and then I've got a new, a new podcast out. Uh, it's a pilot for a new pod that myself, um, Adam Petrucian and, uh, Kay are going to be doing potentially as the season kicks off. We'll see how it goes. It's called, uh, Rate Don't Hate. Um, and basically, me and Adam do our play, do player ratings for Liverpool matches. Uh, Kay hosts it, and we sort of compare and contrast with each other, with the Echo, with those sorts of people. Um, I won't say too much more about it now because I'm I'm curious to see how people respond to it, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Gags and Kay develop it. But it's something that I uh, it is out now on the site. So if you want to give that a listen and let us know your thoughts, that would be phenomenal. Plugs for me then. I've got an article on storage looking at that rejuvenated role. Um, it's a bit different to Dave's in that I look at where he might play his minutes next season. Um, I think he'll have an important role. So maybe the different positions we could see him play as well, being that number time, uh, number nine, maybe number 10. Um, other than that, it's been a pleasure having you on, Dave. And of course, Tom, as ever. Uh, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next week. Podcast Network.